Self-sufficiency is the name of the game in agriculture, within reason. No farm is truly self-sufficient, but the more you can keep your costs down, the more money you're going to bring home to the bank. So maybe you cut your own hay to feed your own cows, or you cut your own straw to mulch your own veggie beds. Maybe some of your crops go to feeding your hogs and your chickens, and maybe you do your own welding or vehicle repairs. Self-sufficiency in fuel is a difficult one. There's lots of oil and gas activity happening on Albertan farms, but it's not like anybody's refining it on site. But there is a way now to be self-sufficient in tractor fuel. I'm Derek Leahy, and in this episode of Rural Roots to Climate Solutions, we're talking electric tractors. Christmas 2018. I'm back in Ontario visiting my folks and a day or two before I get on the train to make that epic three-day journey back to Alberta, my parents passed me a very interesting article. A farmer named Tony Neal, who lives about 20 minutes up the road from my parents, had a solar tractor. At least that's what the headline said. Technically, it's a plug-in electric tractor and Tony Neal uses his solar panels to well, feed electricity into that tractor. Still, a very, very cool thing. I was kind of annoyed at the time that I was finding out about this at the last minute. Uh, I, I really didn't have time to arrange a meeting. Fortunately, well, last year, so last Christmas, once again, I'm back in southern Ontario visiting my folks and made my way out to Will Barrel Farms in Sunderland, Ontario, to talk to Tony Neal about the joys and wonders of farming with an electric tractor. My name's Tony. Um, I'm from Wheelbarrow Farm, which is an hour northeast of Toronto. And uh, we're heading in in 2020. I guess it'll be our uh, 13th year in operation. So uh, I don't have a background in farming. I came to it like many young people do today. I had a basic interest, started woofing, uh, did an apprenticeship, and then I had an opportunity on my father's land uh, in Sunderland to start uh, a business. And I started with one acre. And then uh, as I got more comfortable um, with my skill sets, I was I would add on an acre at a time. At this point, probably in 2020, we'll be doing <clears throat> uh, six acres of annual vegetables and about two acres of perennials. So we've had a focus right from the get-go on uh, per- permaculture. Um, so we grow our annuals just basic farming styles, annual vegetables, but then uh, every year we've been planting perennials. So we have uh, hundreds of plum trees, lots of apples, sour cherries, hazelnuts, heart nuts, um, asparagus, strawberries, etc. So, Wow, what's, what's it like growing nut trees? I've never tried that before. I didn't even know you could, like I grew up in this area. Yeah, I had no idea you could grow up in this area. <clears throat> there's only, there's not too many varieties. There's a lot of the nice varieties you can't grow up here. Okay. Um, but what you can grow are um, hazelnuts. Uh, <clears throat> and we're just kind of on the cusps. Some springs, if you get a late frost, mm-hmm. uh, it kills the, the female flowers and you lose your harvest for that year. So we're just kind of on the edge of hazelnut territory. Okay. But still, uh, well, I can show you the bushel afterwards. It's really nice to have yeah, yeah. nuts. And then uh, the heart nuts. I really enjoy the tree. Just... <clears throat> If you, I can show it to you later. It's got a really nice structure. Okay. Uh, and, but it's also, there's a long lag period between when you plant it. So this is, I can show you our small little harvest of those. It was our first season of harvest okay. after 12 years. So it's, wow. uh, yeah. So, but <clears throat> the idea in permaculture is that, you know, you plant for succession. Uh, so there are now 30 or more heart nut trees that are establishing 20 years from now, when I'm kind of easing into retirement, it's there will be this perennial harvest that you don't do much work on during the season. It's just kind of harvest and sell. And so okay. I want to ease more into um, the perennials as I grow older as a farmer. I, I definitely hear that. I feel like that's that, that's just my favorite type of farming. It just feels like less work. I guess yeah. you got to be a bit more patient. But yeah. yeah, I would love a farm just all perennials. Yeah. Great. <laughs> I don't know if it's possible. And, uh, yeah, I was just kind of curious, uh, just because a lot of the folks that are listening to this, I'm assuming in Alberta, just, just wondering, like, what kind of vegetables tend to do well on your farm here? Okay. Um, 
most of them. So we do a CSA program in markets. Uh, so that encourages us to grow as many types of vegetables as we can. And most of them uh, do well for us. Uh, we grow on sandy loam. So a lot of root crops mm. do well. Um, onions, potatoes, carrots, beets are kind of some of our staples. Okay. But also spinach and lettuces and tomatoes. <clears throat> um, I don't know if it's the soil or if it's myself. I seem to have really hard t a real hard time growing white cauliflower, so I've given up on that and a few other okay. species. But otherwise, we grow, you know, maybe 40 different types of mixed vegetables. It's good, good climate here for that diversity and good topsoil as well. Okay. And uh, any interest or is it in the future at all to, like, inter in incorporate livestock? I did. I actually uh, started out doing half of my business was uh, vegetables and the other half was uh, pigs. So oh, yeah. I okay. used to have a breeding operation where I'd have sows. I think at the max, it wasn't huge, but uh, maybe six sows, but two litters a year. So that's, that's enough pigs. Yeah, I was sure. raising the hogs, but also uh, selling wieners. Um, <clears throat> and I think it was economics that pushed me just to focus on vegetables. Mm. Uh, we don't have a large land base here, so I was at the whim of the grain prices. Right. And so my last year doing pigs, it was a year when grain prices went way up. And uh, the abattoir situation, that's also an expense that you have no control over. And those prices seem to keep rising above and beyond what I could ask my customers to pay. So Fair enough. <clears throat> at the end of one year, I was looking at the numbers and it was, you know, the net didn't move much from doing all this work. Uh, on the animals, so I just uh, kind of gave up. And in the pig run, I just planted a bunch of trees. And it's actually, I mean, there's some things I miss, but it's it can be nice just to focus a little bit. I like pigs. I enjoy their company, but they're uh, stinky and loud, and <laughs> they have jailbreaks once in a while. <laughs> and uh, Yeah, so they can throw a monkey wrench into your daily plan sometimes. Right, right. Yeah, as opposed to it's just... just going away it makes yeah. it a lot easier when you yeah you have to be here three times a day every single day right um but uh and we're looking into starting a second farm larger with a larger land base maybe 100 Great. acres okay and then i would definitely uh, reconsider doing some uh, rotationally grazed uh, poultry and pigs probably okay oh, exciting things in the future for sure I'm, yeah. I'm hoping one day somebody's gonna get the genetics right on hogs and pigs that you can do like grass-fed pigs or something like that i, I heard actually in new zealand that they have like i think it's called a coon coon pig or something like yeah, that. yeah there's you some of those in ontario uh one thing there's actually uh, <clears throat> a farm near here who does this uh and what they do is they grow alfalfa and then they send it through uh a chopper, like they send the whole bale through. Okay. Uh, and that's mainly what they, they feed their pigs. So it's like a high protein hay uh, and they chop it up. Um, huh. I think the name of the farm is Harvey, but I could be wrong on that, but it's, okay. it's around Peterborough and they have a really interesting. And so they are kind of using just the land. Uh, I'm sure they supplement that with some green, but mm. as far as I understand, it's mostly uh, alfalfa chopped up. It would really be interesting to find out, like, uh, profit-wise, how much of a difference that makes. Because, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that, I guess, that we can head more in that direction. Because, mm -hmm. yeah, you're right, if you're dependent on that grain, it, you're at the whim of these markets that keep going up and down and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, but, did not come here to talk about hogs. <laughs> <laughs> the, the main thing that really excited me when I found out about you when I was here last Christmas is this, this whole electric tractor thing. I'm just really curious how, I like, I, I never actually thought tractors would get to electric and maybe I just have limited imagination, but I'm, I'm wondering like your, your journey to purchasing electric tractor, uh, where sure. does it begin? And yeah. I guess, where is it at right now? I, uh, <clears throat> I started off uh, very much in the mindset that, uh, tractors were evil. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't come to this naturally. It was something that, uh, there's kind of this feeling in the small scale organics that, uh, and there are some issues with tractors. Compaction can be one of them. Mm. How you use it is another one. Fossil fuels, etc. But uh, somewhere around year four or five, my dad told me, uh, I'm going to sell the farm in five, five more years. So it was, it was kind of, I had my 10-year incubation period uh, renting 
the lands and rim from him, but uh, he let me know, <clears throat> okay, you better scale up because you're going to either have to afford this farm or <laughs> find another job. Okay. And uh, so that at year five, I said, okay, well, I better get a tractor because I need to put more acres in production. And uh, so I started using a tractor and a lot of these uh, assumed issues that exist with tractors, I found not to be true. I, I think I can actually treat the land better with a tractor. I'll give you an example. Um, okay. uh, cover cropping, both planting it and incorporating it, that's a huge job to do by hand or by, with uh, a walk-behind tractor. Mm -hmm. So now it's just it's a piece of cake to uh, cover crop five acres of oats in, in the fall. Okay. Um, it takes me less time doing that with a tractor than doing, say, an acre or half an acre with uh, hand tools and rototiller. So yeah. I'm able to do things like that. Uh, and because it's, I mean, you're just driving, so it's easy on the body. So then for me, it's like, yes, I'm absolutely going to cover crop everything every year. And, uh, and I can do it in not that much time. <clears throat> um, with the compaction issue, here, here's the way we see it here, I guess, at Wheelbarrow Farm okay. is that, one, we're not out there doing donuts in the field, driving around and around unnecessarily. So I keep my wheels in the same wheel well. Uh, I'm not driving over the growing space. Uh, and I actually have not noticed, uh, and maybe it's because I have a small tractor. Mm. Now, sometimes you look at these tractors going down the road and they have six wheels wide on each side. Uh, and so, yes, I can see that doing, and, and they weigh 40,000 pounds. But with a small tractor, and if you use it wisely, I think it helps you to treat the land better. Uh, than you would if you're just using a two-wheel tractor. Yeah. Um, so that's all to say that uh, I was kind of pushed into the stream of, you know what, let's reconsider these negative uh, stereotypes about tractors. Okay. Started using a tractor and really enjoyed it. One thing I don't like about them is the noise and the exhaust mm. uh, and the fact that I have to drive to town and fill up cherry cans, come back um, and fill up the tractor. Right. <clears throat> But that's, I mean, that's all tractors are internal combustion. So that's how it is. Um, and then it was, I guess it was two years ago now, I was using the diesel tractor uh, incorporating cover crop one fall day. And uh, I was just, I was on, you know, when you're working outside all day, you have a lot of mental time to think about <laughs> how things could be different. And uh, so I thought, why is 2017, why isn't there an electric tractor? There are electric cars, um, and there have been for, you know, five or six, seven years. Um, so why not electric tractors? Especially because some of the limitations in the auto industry don't exist for agriculture. Uh, like two examples. One would be your range. So mm. with cars, it's always, you know, if I live 100 kilometers from Toronto, I want a range of maybe three or 400 kilometers because in extreme weathers, the batteries don't discharge as well. Sure. If you're, ha if you're delivering vegetables, that's a heavy load on the truck and you might have to make a little quick trip here and there. You want to be able to get to where you're going and back. And so, um, <clears throat> that has been one thing and it, it gets better in the electric vehicle industry every year, but mm. uh, that was one of the limiting factors on a farm. You're always a few minutes away from your charging station. So that runtime if, if you're doing the type of agriculture where you're on your tractor 12 hours a day, it's not yet time for, for uh, electric tractors because mm -hmm. the batteries aren't that good yet. Right. However, um, for the type of farming that I do, I use the tractor maybe three hours a day max. So that's, I can easily, you know, not even burn through a full charge on the tractor. And then yeah. I'm a few minutes away from the charging station, plug it in overnight. And then the next day um, <clears throat> I can use it again. And the other issue um, with electric vehicles is uh, they're limited by how much, how many batteries they can put in because of weight. Mm. Uh, and so with a tractor, you actually need need and want that weight for traction. That's so true. that got me thinking, well, maybe, maybe we are close to having uh, electric tractors, especially small ones. So that's where, you know, in the electric vehicle market, it's the small cars that started first mm. because of this uh, energy density issue with batteries. And so with tractors, that, that'll be the first application is either small scuffling tractors or a small utility tractor. But that's the scale of agriculture um, that I do. So <clears throat> I felt that I was uh, 
maybe onto something. So I did a quick Google search uh, and almost immediately found Selectrack, the company in California okay. that had, and it just happened to be the right timing because when I emailed Steve and then we set up a phone call, uh, <clears throat> he had just kind of had a prototype out that was ready to be released onto the market. So it was a, a good timing thing. Yeah. And uh, it wasn't too long that season ended 2017. And uh, was, I think it was November. I went down to see him in California and uh, see another one of his kind of floor unit prototypes. And uh, yeah, that's, that's the story of how we brought it here. Okay. How'd you get it up here actually? So we had to uh, float it. We had to find a, a flatbed that would drive it from California to Ontario. So okay. there were certain expenses uh, associated with uh, being an early adopter mm. that as the industry develops, you'll avoid those extra expenses. But we used, um, <clears throat> so once we decided, okay, this is, uh, this is a gamble, but we're willing to take it. And uh, we think this, th there's a lot of potential for this type of technology. Um, so then we sent out an email to our, customers, other farmers and friends and said, okay, we were looking to buy this tractor and uh, we would like to borrow money. So we, we called them community bonds um, and we offered <clears throat> uh, between one and five year terms. And then it was a, what we were offering was a 4% return on investments compounded annually. So um, we probably could have, no, I think we could have gone to a bank and um, made a business case, gotten a loan probably at that percentage or maybe even tiny bit less I'm not sure um, but I'm much happier if I'm gonna pay interest I'd rather pay it to customers friends family than uh, a nameless bank yeah, right. yeah. Um, <clears throat> so um, that's how we financed it and then and then we had to bring it here so uh, yeah it was just a process of calling a lot of transport companies at the border it was uh, kind of at the 11th hour they almost didn't let it through they're uh, what, what the heck is this? I've never seen anything <laughs> like this before. Um, and I think they were just, there were a flurry of phone calls, both from Steve and myself and uh, to the border every 10 minutes. Okay. Can you please pass this through? It's a really a legitimate tractor. He's a, he's a small company and this was his first sale. So oh, uh, shipping things across borders was new for them. And so, uh, but eventually I think they just got, tired of having us call them every 10 minutes and they passed it through and uh it, it arrived i'm trying to think now the fall of 2018 okay yeah. okay um just before i ask you like how the tractor works and all that uh one thing just like listening to you talk i'm just thinking like you took a huge freaking risk with this and like, i know producers like yourself you're, like you're in the risk business that's what growing food is but yeah. I'm just wondering before, like before you put down, like it wasn't cheap, obviously. No. Before you made the purchase and the decision, like, did it ever, like, in your mind, you're like, have I actually lost my mind here? Like, should <laughs> I really do something like this? Oh uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. even for the first year, I, uh, maybe not the first year, but uh, definitely had a lot of doubts. I also learned a lot about myself, like uh, being an early adopter is a stressful uh, position, and uh, I didn't realize or anticipate the amount of sleep I would lose based on, you know, there's something and there have, we can talk about this in a second. There have been like little glitches along the way. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh man, what did I, <laughs> what did I just do? However, having said that, it's uh, like, I would go say hands down, it was the best decision of my farming career in terms of okay. uh, the, the doors that it opened. Uh, I like, I do like some things about participating in the emergence of a new industry and a new type of technology. So there's that stressful side, but there's also a bit of excitement. Um, but it's definitely opened up so many doors. I mean, we had, uh, this is probably how we came to know about each other is, uh, that mm -hmm. Toronto star article. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, yeah. uh, this was in between Christmas and new year's of last year. And it's a front section, full page fluff piece. Uh, you know, nothing critical said It's just, a pure advertisement for our farm mm. and the things that we do. So I don't know what a full page is something it's in over $10,000 for a full page ad, but this isn't an ad. This is better than an ad. This is like a endorsement story. Uh, and so, and we immediately got emails, requests to be CSA members, people contacting us after that to, um, 
either work here or do the apprenticeship program. And then it also, it happened in a roundabout way to put me in touch with York University. And uh, so a professor in the environmental studies program there invited me in to do a a single lecture last year. And that went well. And he said, okay, well, why don't you do a full course starting in January? So the spinoffs haven't stopped uh, from this uh, one decision. And so, yeah, looking back, I would say it's the best decision of this business's career, but uh, that the first little bit, there's there's definitely more stress than I anticipated. Right. Yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, I'm not the most mechanically inclined person, so already I don't even understand how a regular tractor works. Yeah. I'm just wondering with the electric tractor, like how it works. You wake up in the morning. Okay. You unplug it, and then like, how's the damn thing move, and yeah. so on and so forth. Yeah. So it's a pretty uh, simple system. This is both for uh, electric tractors and electric vehicles. Uh, like in the Teslas, for example, there's not even a transmission. Mm. There's no radiator. There's no oil system. There's no like you can. Uh, it's really interesting if you want to go on YouTube and just look at uh, the component parts for a Tesla. It's like where where is everything? Okay. Uh, and the same is true with the tractor. So if you open up the hood, I mean, it's the middle of winter now, so we're probably not going to go look at it today. But um, if you open up the hood, it's uh, there's only a few components. There's a charger, uh, there's a controller, uh, there's the battery pack and the motor, um, and there's a small battery management system. It's like a the size of a cell phone, basically. It's a computer wow. the size of a cell phone that kind of regulates the charge and discharge of the each cell in the system. Okay. Uh, and so if I can tell you, this is my idea of paradise as a farmer is that you don't actually have to know how these things work. Um, and so we're not quite there, but that's utopia for me is like you just get onto a tractor and use it and you never have to know how it works, totally. what's inside. Um, you know, and this came up in the EFAO conference is the idea of the division of labor. It's like, do as farmers, do we have to be mechanical engineers, electrical engineers, plumbers, electricians, carpenters, Marketing, social media, biologists, soil scientists. Yeah, it's kind of gone that way. It has gone that way. And I mean, there's aspects of that that are interesting and challenging, intellectually stimulating. But there are some things I just like to function. And so, for example, when I wake up every morning, I have a glass of water. I turn the tap, potable, clean, fresh water comes out. And it works without fail. I don't know how it works. I don't need to know how it works. It just works. And if it ever fails, I call someone, they're here within an hour and they fix it. So that's where I would love to see tools get to. That's where I'd love tractors to get to. And I think there's more of a chance that electric tractors will be there um, because there's just so few parts Mm -hmm. compared to um, like, so for example, in an internal combustion engine, there's 200 moving parts. Uh, The operating temperature inside some of those cylinders is over 2000 degrees. Um, whereas in an electric motor, there's one moving part and the bearings on that, on the motor in my tractor is rated for a hundred years. So it's like a system with very few moving parts, very few, very little friction. Uh, and the temperature it operates at is just over whatever the ambient temperature is. So, um, maybe 10 degrees over ambient temperature. So it's not wasting a lot of heat. Um, and it's a simple system. And when we can get a few of these different things worked out, uh, and there have been a few hiccups in this, the select track that I have, but when those things get worked out, I think it'll be very simple. Like, yeah, you plug it in to charge it and then you unplug it and you use it and then you park it. There's really no, um, <clears throat> maintenance. Mm. So there's no oil changes. There's no fuel filter changes. Um, no, this and that. And so, but I mean, there's maybe a caveat there. There's with electric, there's no maintenance mm-hmm. until there is maintenance. And when there is maintenance, there's a lot of maintenance. <laughs> so if something goes wrong, uh, then especially because the whole ecosystem hasn't been populated in the way that with uh, internal combustion, you, you know, there's, I'm within 10 minutes of 25 different mechanics. Oh yeah. yeah. So it doesn't even matter. I mean, you could, I could get my car mechanic out here to help me with something with the tractor. There's so much, that's interchangeable. I could go to any of the six different tractor dealers and 
any of one of them can understand my system and help, and help get me out of a bind. Mm -hmm. That ecosystem doesn't yet quite exist for electric vehicles, although it's uh, there's a large DIY movement. Um, I've just recently been in touch with mechanical engineer through York University, so there are people that could help if something goes wrong. Mm. But that's that's again one of the other stressors is that okay, geez, what if you know there's no dealer for select track down the road for me, uh, although there are mechanical engineers, but they would have to come in and kind of look around what's actually happening in the system. So, okay. Yeah. And that, that was a question I wanted to ask. Yeah, so when these, when it has actually needed a repair, what the heck do you do? Do you just go on YouTube and Google a bunch of stuff? No, I, I get on the phone and I talk to Steve. So there, oh, ha okay. there haven't been, uh, and he's been, that's one of the nice things about being an early adopter is you get, you kind of get preferential treatment from the dealer. Like they're totally motivated for you to have a successful, positive experience with their first product. Right. I mean, if you're, First, customers are upset and give you a few bad reviews. That could be your business. So mm. they're definitely motivated to help me along. And there haven't been, I don't know if I would call them, how to, how to really describe them. So one of the hiccups um, was in, in the BMS. And so that's a small computer that regulates the charge and discharge of your battery. It'll give you warning signals so that you don't, it's kind of dummy proofing your electric system. Okay. And so bringing it out of storage last spring, I got a error message and I said one of the cells was too high. Um, and it was right in the spring where I want to start my primary cultivation. Right. Uh, and so instead of being able to disc this year, this spring with my electric, uh, it was parked because I was waiting to work through that problem with Steve. So that, and it took about, it took several weeks because we couldn't really understand what the problem was. We, I got down to manually with a voltmeter testing each cell mm. and each cell was actually in the same range that it was when I put it away for the winter. Hmm. So somehow along the electrical circuit, this battery management system was getting uh, air, a uh, uh, a wrong reading. The cell mm. was actually at its right level, but it was saying it was too high. Uh. And we never actually fixed that problem. What I just said was, you know what? I'm just going to start using it. Uh, it's not too high. Okay. Maybe this uh, BMS will just kind of snap, snap into line. And within 10 minutes of using it, uh, that air light went off and it hasn't come on since. So, but that, I mean, that was, it meant that I didn't get to use the electric for the primary cultivation. And this year, that's fine. I started disking at the end of this season with it. It seems to work well. Mm. Um, but it, you know, it was a little bit of stress, a little bit of time. And then it kind of screwed up my, uh, my planning because my diesel tractor, the, the tires and the, the pathways when you're setting a bed, they're a little bit different, a little bit more narrow. So um, it kind of threw off my year trying to use that because I want to use it not just for cultivation, but also for, or for primary tillage, but for weeding, uh, mm. for example, too. So um, that's just, uh, and I guess that's uh, that's prototype life. Mm. You know, you hope that it's not. It wouldn't be nice if prototypes actually, some of them get it right in the prototype phase, <laughs> and you never run into problems. But uh, this was one of the ones, and yeah, it was. So it took uh, talking to the manufacturer of the battery management system, mm. uh, but they also had nothing much to say that why uh, they didn't really understand why it was misfiring like this. Okay. And so if there were, I mean, the ultimate solution, if we couldn't have figured it out was uh, it's under warranty. They would just send me a BMS. I would unscrew the wires to the old BMS, put in the new one, and hopefully that would work. But before we got to that step, uh, I just decided I'll just start using it. And um, so that's one example of a little hiccup, uh, mm -hmm that we worked through and I did it with the help of uh, Steve and select track, but um, okay. yeah. Right, like, and so you've had the tractor since 2018, you said? Yeah. So we had the first season 2018, we got it and most of the farm work had been done for the year. We just put a wagon on it and that was our harvest tractor. So it was back and forth from the fields to um, cold storage. Okay. Um, and it was also, I mean, I'm pretty cautious with this machine because it's new. I my, my goal is not, 
and just like push it to its max and uh, see, okay, at what point does it break? That's right, not, you yeah. know, I hope to never push it to that max. But yeah. uh, so we started in the first year just with a wagon and the wagon, even full because there's no, I mean, it's on wheels. It's not really dragging into the soil. Yeah. Um, generally, it, I, the draw is maybe 70 amps. Um, and then the next one up we started using was a cultivator. Uh, and a time meter, and that's you know somewhere around the cultivator's a bit heavier, and same with the uh, we have a potato hiller, mm -hmm. planter hiller harvester that we were using also with the electric this year, and that those implements because they're dragging in the soil a little bit, it's about uh, just over a hundred amps, mm -hmm. um, and then this fall I started using the discs, which is our heaviest implement, and it's pulling a lot of soil with it okay. and that was to get, to get it moving quickly enough to be effective that uh, the draw was about 200 amps so this all relates to uh, your runtime uh -huh. so I can get six or seven hours if, of runtime if I'm just using the wagon uh -huh. um, maybe four or five hours uh, with the cultivator and then probably two and a half to three hours of heavy disking okay. before it needs to be charged yeah, and how long is that recharge time? Well, that depends. So um, this spring when we were having some issues with uh, the battery management system, it had been set at charging at 35 amps. Uh, and so I actually brought that down, had to go into, and like uh, with my laptop, you can kind of interface with the tractor. Oh, cool. Um, and we brought it down to 10 amps, wondering if, I mean, we're trying a whole bunch of things. Mm. Um, and so I've left it there. So it means it's, you know, three times as long as it had been set up. But it, that, that has been fine for me. Okay. So it's about, I mean, I think at 35 amps, uh, I think it's about one hour of use for one hour of recharge. Okay. So it's about one to one. And now I have it set at only 10 amps. And uh, so it's about three hours of plug-in time per hour of use. Okay. But the way I use the tractor on the farm is like maybe two hours a day mm. and then I'll plug it in overnight. And Perfect. so I try and keep the charging and discharging uh, pretty, like I try not to charge it to the max and wear it down to the bottom and, you know, the big ups and downs. Mm. I try and keep it like, use it for an hour and a half, charge it a bit, use it a bit, charge it a bit. Okay. I've been told that that will, that will extend the uh, battery life. Okay. Not the deep cycles, but uh, more shallow. What's actually yeah, the battery life on those things? Hey, maybe I should actually. What is the battery? I'm thinking of a so, car battery. Yeah, it's so lithium-ion yeah. battery. So, oh, okay. um, and this is really why we see electric vehicles and electric tractors and electric uh, chainsaws and all the other things that are coming onto the market. Mm. The issue um, between fossil fuels and batteries for a long time and still is energy density. So for a particular volume of diesel, you get a certain amount of work and that same volume uh, for a lead acid battery or lithium ion battery uh, will give you much less work. So the ratio is actually um, between diesel and lead acid, the ratio is about 200 to one. So Oh, wow. Fossil fuels are 200 times more energy dense than lead acid batteries. So if you can imagine how big your battery bank needs to be um, mm. to, to get that same range that you would get with a gas tank. Now, what the improvement was with lithium that cut the energy density of uh, or that doubled the energy density of lead acid. So that's the only reason Tesla exists is because of lithium ion. So it's only been with the lithium ion battery that any of this has been possible. Mm -hmm. And, uh, <clears throat> but if you look at the graphs and this is what gives me hope for that, there's, you know, better and more powerful vehicles and tractors to come is that, uh, the performance of lithium keeps getting better mm -hmm. and the price of it keeps dropping. So that's, what's really making things affordable now. Uh, mm. and they will be more affordable in the future in terms of, uh, life cycle of the batteries. Um, I'm really hoping 10 years. Okay. Um, so for, in terms of charge cycles and the way I'm charging it, um, Steve said I should probably get over 2000 charge cycles, which is more than I might do in 
my career as a farmer. Okay. Um, however, there's also the just the age of the batteries, and I'm not sure. You know, after 10 years, I might have only done 700 charge cycles, but uh, being 10 years old, will that uh, reduce uh, its effectiveness? I'm not sure. I'll find yeah, yeah. that out. And my hope is that my hope is that it lasts 10 years. Um, but then my hope is that when it's time to replace it, there will be solid state batteries, which is that's kind of like the holy grail of battery research and development. Okay. Um, and the solid state batteries, when they are available, and it looks like, you know, in the next decade they will be, um, <clears throat> they'll be quicker to charge. They'll operate better in high and low temperatures. Uh, they'll be less flammable. Um, and they should be cheaper, and uh, they'll be more recyclable as well. So. The experience of driving an electric tractor, what's it feel like? How's it different yeah. from that, that old diesel clunker that you probably drive? Uh, Sorry, maybe your diesel is not a clunker. It's not a clunker. <laughs> it's, uh, I, I still quite like the diesel. Okay. Uh, but uh, no, how is the electric tractor to use? It's amazing, It's it's and it's weird. It's trippy to not have noise at first, mm. and also to plug plug something in and so we have solar panels on the farm right we power for the sunniest six months of the year those panels power the entire farm so our walk-in fridges charging the electric tractor but there's also seven people here in the season so all the showers cooking um all our irrigation etc okay. wow. cell phone charging laptops entertainment um and that's I guess we won't get into solar technology, but it's another amazing... <laughs> <laughs> we might go down that route. Yeah, maybe we will. Um, but yeah, just to the idea that you can create your own uh, electricity and then power your own vehicles or uh, tractors is... Uh, uh, the only way to describe it is really strange mm. in an amazing way. Like mm. I knew, of course, I knew that's how it works. You plug it in, but the first time actually physically plugging it in, and then five hours later, it's fully charged. It was mm. like, oh, I could get, I could get really used to this. Um, and I have to say, as much as I'm excited about electric tractors, I'm far more excited about electric vehicles okay. uh, and how it will impact my life. Uh, so we do maybe, no, we do six markets a week. Uh, and then this year coming, we'll have about 150 share CSA and some wholesale and it's all Toronto based. So we're into Toronto, but, Every day, sometimes two vehicles on a single day. Um, <clears throat> and so what that means is throughout the season, we're spending about $8,000 on gasoline mm. uh, for the vehicles. If you're plugging in just to the grid to charge those vehicles, say we had electric vehicles for delivery as well, uh, it would be 50% saving. So $4,000 every year forever, it, it adds up pretty quick. Totally. Huh? Now, if you're producing your own energy then it's 75% savings. And so with our solar panels, because there is the cost of installing them, but mm. um, there's a payoff period for that. Uh, so then instead of spending $8,000 on gasoline, we spend the equivalent $2,000 on electricity. Um, and so I could get really used to that really quick. And <laughs> there, but again, because of the energy density issue is that uh, if you want to range for a larger delivery vehicle, you're, like I definitely want no, no less than 400 kilometers range on a good good day, which means less on a cold day or a very hot day. Okay. Um, and so, but that's coming in this decade. Uh, Rivian is a company that makes this. It's a delivery vehicle, kind of looks like a Sprinter. So mm -hmm. it's not quite a cargo van, okay. uh, but it has lots of room back there. And they just got uh, an order from Amazon to produce 100,000 of those del delivery vehicles for Amazon's new fleet. So mm -hmm. that will kickstart, you know, if that's economies of scale there, you have to produce 100,000 100, of these units. Mm -hmm. You're going to get good at the process. You're going to learn some efficiencies. And the next round that you make, uh, you'll be able to do it at a cheaper price and then more people can afford it and they'll kind of ratchet up that way. Mm -hmm. So that's... Uh, to me, the most exciting thing coming is actually the, the vehicles for our business type. So if you're a type of farmer and you're just on the farm and you do no deliveries, then maybe actually the, the electric tractor makes more sense economically than an electric vehicle. But for us, it's going to be a huge game changer uh, 
maybe I think in five years time we'll purchase that. Okay. I'm not sure. Did that answer your, did I just do a tangent there? What was the question on? Yeah, I don't even know if I remember the question. What was it? Yeah. Oh, the experience. The experience oh, so I didn't like... even talk about really using it. <laughs> uh, the user experience of the tractor uh, is fantastic. So mm. the things you notice right away is the, the noise. And so I don't wear headphones uh, like I do with the diesel, even wearing headphones on the diesel. If it's a two or three or four hours, that sound gets through the headphones and uh, it adds up. And the other thing is exhaust. So on the day that I decided to uh, look into electric tractors, I had been on the diesel all day. And after three or four hours on the diesel, my uh, throat gets scratchy from breathing in the exhaust and my stomach gets a little upset. It's like there's only so many hours of... Now my tractor's small and it doesn't have a cab. So oh, cabs good. are one way of mitigating. Does your electric have a cab? I didn't ask about no, that. No, okay. no. Um, and uh, so that's the other thing I noticed is that, you know, it's just nice not to be breathing in a category one carcinogen all day. Mm. And uh, really? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the other, the other thing is the charging It's just, uh, it's really cool just to charge from, uh, solar panels uh, and we were talking earlier about things that just function and things that just work yeah. so I really love the panels when we installed them um, the spring of 2018 and in the it's net metering which means we get uh, credits for dumping onto the grid and then we can use those credits when we pull off the grid okay. uh, and it's a one for one so the, there used to be an incentive program where you would get paid more to produce energy then you'd get charged to take. It was called mm. Microfit, and it was it was just that. It was an incentive program to get people switching to solar to jumpstart mm. that sector. Right. And so we missed out on that by a couple months. Would have been nice, but still at one for one, it's a eight year payoff. Right. Um, and it's fine. But uh, in the first couple of weeks, I was at the net metering box every two hours. Like, okay, just made uh, just made <laughs> seventeen units. I only used five units and. I had detailed logs right. and then within, I don't know, three days I gave up and I don't, I don't even notice the panels anymore. I walk right by them. They just function. They just quietly create electricity every single day that the sun shines right. and there's no maintenance. There's no moving parts. It just makes power. Uh, and it's almost like, like working with perennial plants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, what, what did I, oh, uh, one thing I was just curious, like, like, and I haven't spent a heck of a lot of time on tractors, but definitely on the, those diesel ones, like, you, after a while, you, it feels like your brain's been rattling around yeah. in your skull. Does, does it vibrate as much as a normal tractor? No, no. Yeah, so it's smooth as well. Interesting. Uh, yeah. I mean, everything, if you look at, uh, if you look at a comparison, internal combustion versus electric motors, every single thing about the electric motor system hmm. is better. Uh how it turns energy into work, the quality of work that it does, precision, um, and then some of the externalities you don't have there. The one, there's only one area where internal combustions outcompete, and that's that energy density of the fuel source. Mm. So when you need mobility, that's the only time we even consider internal combustion. Mm. Um, like, for example, uh, a crane that builds skyscrapers in toronto mm -hmm. they have the option they could use they could have a crane that's internal combustion or they could because it's outside or they could use electric motors okay. and they always choose electric motors it's just a better system you can think of tons of examples uh i don't know you know internal combustion uh dishwasher internal combustion washing mm -hmm. machine aside from the exhaust it's like why would you you have access to stationary power mm -hmm. use the system that works better and so elect the electric system is a better system more efficient uh, better torque <clears throat> so it's all it's all just down to that energy density and mobility issue but and that's that's why we're starting to see electric vehicles is because we're starting to solve that one final variable that internal combustion had the advantage in and it's losing its advantage quickly hmm. interesting and can you like like uh, I'm treating you like the electric tractor expert because there's really, and, and you are in some ways, but uh, like to make a comment on this, the whole agriculture sector. So we were talking about those big tractors, yeah. uh, the ones with like 16 wheels. Yeah. Could you foresee those also going electric or is that Well, you can something? find, uh, they could, it's just yeah. a matter of how good our batteries get. Okay. Um, but th there's two options. One, 
uh, and John Deere, you can find these if you Google it. John Deere has a, I don't know what the horsepower is, but it's over a hundred. They have a prototype. Uh, but if you look at the battery stack on this, it looks like a huge apartment. Full of batteries. <laughs> so that's one of the issues that they'll run into. Okay. Uh, I know John Deere has, uh, they've started making corded electric. So and and with this, an extension cord, with an extension cord. And huh. it, so, but agriculture would have to change to make that make sense. And it's through automation that they're doing this tractor. Okay. It'd be like, okay, if you had uh, a thousand acre plot rectangle mm-hmm. and this tractor was on a cord, but it could sort of, it releases it and winds it back up on its own. Okay. Um, and it's just doing this pattern over and over again. Uh, there, there's an option there. I don't know if that's, it's not going to be feasible for a cash cropper going from farm to farm, but mm. there could be potential there, but farming as a sector would have to maybe change to make that an option. So it's either just much better solid state batteries with higher energy density, and then mm. you could have a hundred plus horsepower right. or there's the corded option. And then I'd say the third option is this, is that a lot of the work that those giant tractors do could be, uh, done in a more modular way with, uh, cool with automated robots. Um, so for example, the spraying that happens, um, you see the giant 30,000 pounds sprayers that straddle the corn. Um, mm. there is, uh, a company called eco robotics in, uh, Europe. And what they've, uh, created is a couple hundred pound, uh, automated solar powered robot that can navigate a field. Oh, yeah. uh, it can determine what is a plant that you want to keep, what is corn, say, for example, and what is a weed. And then it, zo- it focuses in on that weed. It finds the meristem, like the growing point, yeah. and it shoots a microburst of uh, herbicide, in okay. this case, uh, to weed the field that way. So there, are, with automation, with robotics, uh, and with uh, you know s- different types of sustainable energy, mm. you could get the tasks done that, agriculture requires without gigantic 40,000 pound machines. Mm-hmm. And so that's another way that we can ditch the huge tractors, but still get the work done. I don't know how that industry is going to develop, but I, I can tell, like I've seen in person, the robot, uh, and it's, to me, it's like one of the coolest things ever. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's a major milestone for agriculture. You know, this is, we have, and if you can put aside for a second, if it uses herbicides or not, there's different ways to kill plants. Mm. Um, and you could use a high acid vinegar. You could, there are organic herbicides, mm-hmm. but setting that aside, how you actually kill the plant, the fact that a machine can self-navigate, uh, determine crop from weed, and then you can have a variety of different ways of getting rid of that weed. But uh mm. And this thing is entirely, the whole top of it uh, is a solar panel. So it's um, a lot of potential there. So it's either battery technology getting way better or just rethinking the way we do agriculture. Mm. I'm just having these visions of like Skynet becoming self-aware out in the (laughs) field and taking (laughs) I feel it's not the first time Terminator has actually come up with the project. Oh, yeah. I'm just wondering, does it make sense to get an electric tractor if you're not already producing your own electricity? Sure. Yeah. So I would like, and it's, uh, it depends on where you are. Um, but in Ontario, the, the ratio is about two to one. So it's twice as expensive to fuel an electric vehicle or a tractor with, gasoline or diesel than it is to just plug into the grid. Mm-hmm. So absolutely. Yeah. Just, uh, if you're thinking of getting an EV, uh, you don't need that solar panel, mm. but if you can figure out funding for both, then you, you know, save an extra on, uh, on the energy that you create. What have been some other cool, like spin-off benefits of okay. having this? They don't necessarily have to be cool. Sorry, but good yeah. benefits of having yeah, yeah. this tractor. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's the financial aspect. There's the user experience. Um, there's, I mean, the biggest one has been, uh, biggest spinoff has been uh, access to marketing. Mm. Um, and so to be able to tell our customers at farmer's markets or 
if they're choosing, I mean, it's a competitive CSA landscape. Totally. Uh, and so if all else looks equal, but one farm is totally powered by the sun and uses electric tractors and we will be, if not the first, one of the first to transition our delivery fleet to electric. Like we're planning for that five years ahead of time. So um, that's just something that, uh, and we, you know, we also have this, we plant a hundred trees a year. We have a focus on perennials and wildlife restoration. And we also uh, donate thousands of dollars to food banks every year. So the solar is just another reason and same with the electric tractor and vehicles when they come uh, in marketing, why you might choose to sign up for RCSA. Okay. The other spinoffs, I guess I've mentioned um, uh, our new partnership with York University, mm, um, but then also drawing in um, tour groups uh, and apprentices and staff. It's something that's kind of exciting. It's mm. just one extra area of learning that's possible here. Okay. You know, and you know, it gets you on the Rural Roots of Climate Solutions podcast. Exactly. <laughs> I, I actually really liked uh, the, the presentation you gave for the Ecological Farmers of Ontario Association. And you're mentioning, like, after that Toronto Star article came out, like, you, you had, like, people signing up for your CSA almost, like, within a week. And, yeah. Like, that article came out in the middle of the winter, I think, too. It's not really a time you're thinking of CSA. No. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure it helped grow your customer base with Definitely. it as well. Yeah. It's good to see that people are like they care about that kind of stuff too. That like I, you know, we saw in the federal election, like climate change is a really big issue for yeah. folks. Finally, uh, and yeah, I think anything you can do that helps alleviate folks' eco grief, especially with food, I think it would give you a bit of a marketing advantage. Mm-hmm. I can imagine. Mm-hmm. So um, the the financing side, I, like the your financing model for your electric tractor, I think that could work in so many different things. And agriculture is a really great way to like. Because when we talk about like community supported agriculture, like that's yeah. what that was with the electric tractor. Because uh, yeah, I, obviously it probably wasn't cheap. I'm assuming it costs the same amount as your solar array probably cost. And I'm just thinking like, if you had to talk to producers about financing something like this, an endeavor like this, would you have any recommendations? I can't think of any grants for this kind of stuff. So if a producer really wanted to go down this road, yeah, you know, I mean we 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 actually received a very small. Uh, grant from the Greenbelt Foundation. Oh. So there are some grants, but the government generally doesn't like to fund capital expenditures, mm. especially something like a tractor. Okay. If it's going to be something, it might be uh, building and it would be cost share, but cost share is still fine. Mm. It'd be nice, but uh, you, you don't find, I, I actually haven't found them any government support for tractor investment. Right. Uh, the solar incentive incentivization that exists, um, well, that, that microfit program got ended, but that's a provincial thing. Maybe in another province, uh, there's still incentive programs. Oh God, I think they're few and far yeah. between. <laughs> so I guess what I would say is that uh, <clears throat> a community bond program, like what we did for the tractor, um, is a possibility. Uh, you can explore it. Um, I mean, there's a appetite for eco investing, for sustainable investing um, out there. So whether it's your customer base or it depends on really, I mean, I think you probably have to have some uh, sort of track record. If it's your second year farming, it might not uh, be a safe bet for your customers. I'm not mm. sure. But so because we had, you know, a decade of experience, uh, I think that helped us out a bit. But I would say, I mean, we're, that's trying to navigate a system that's not set up to help farmers in the first place. So the most important thing is that there's government uh, support and incentivization for this. I mean, we ours was a workaround. Uh, mm. We probably could, we may have been able to get bank funding. It was a relatively small amount. Um but I mean, there's some huge issues in agriculture. If we want the next generation uh, to farm rather than, uh, I mean, it's either we figure out how the next generation can farm or we just resign ourselves to robots and migrant workers. Mm. Um, our community bonds were a workaround. There's not a really good funding program uh, and you get what you incentivize. So if you're not incentivizing these things, you might, there might be some people like us who are doing them here and there, but uh, if, what we need is like societal level change. And so that needs 
huge government investment. And that's, I mean, that's the new uh, popular talk about the Green New Deal. That's what a Green New Deal is, is taxing the wealthy, spending that on uh, a transition to a better economy and employing people who need employment along the way. And so, yeah, I mean, there's the workaround, but what I guess I would emphasize is that we need large-scale public investment in this. Because um, I'm not, I don't know if it's a function of getting older <laughs> or what, or getting impatient, but I'm not super happy just living on the margins, doing a nice little virtuous thing in a small pocket. What I would like to see is the entire system work better. Um both for the farmers and for the land. And that I don't see a road to that without large-scale government intervention and funding. I think there's quite a few producers that feel the same way. So it's not, not just you getting old if you're worried about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just wondering if like, people, your customers thought, like, no, this is this is like a, a flying car from the Jets. <laughs> what the hell is our farmer doing right now trying to buy electric cars? I'm just wondering how you like explained yeah. it in a way. To have that, and they build that trust with them to, like, yeah, do you mind investing your money in this yeah. thing that I think is important? Yeah. I'm, I mean, I just used all the regular reasons, explained why it's uh, better for us as a user, why it's better for, you know, people who live in the area or even just in the world. I mean, hmm. uh, fossil fuel pollution is a systemic pollution where it affects, I mean, it actually, the pollution that we let off in Canada has a more negative effect on some of the lowly lying Island nations than it does on us. So it's, um, how did I sell it to them? I mean, I think part of it was, uh, our experience, at least being around for a long time, mm. um, or long enough that it didn't seem like, uh, you know, just a one-off crazy idea. Mm. I think the other thing was the development of the EV market. I mean, it's got people used to the idea that things are changing. Um, and so point, yeah. that, that was that basically, if I want to sum it up, I say, okay, this is, this is a Tesla tractor. Mm. And then immediately they're like, Oh, okay. okay. You know, it's just like a Tesla it's electric on four wheels, but instead of driving to the city and back, it pulls a plow or it pulls a cultivator. Mm. So, I think people are excited about, uh, I mean, one of the thing about the internet age is that we hear about things like this, um, really quickly, but then they take decades to develop. I mean, <laughs> technologies, even now we can talk about how fast things roll out, still takes time. Yeah. Uh, so, but these days we know about it. Like I know about, uh, an advance in a battery development in a lab, in a university two weeks after it happens. But the subsequent commercialization can take decades. So mm. uh, there's, I think that maybe there's some impatience about, yeah, it's time for flying cars. <laughs> We've been hearing about them for long <laughs> enough. So, um, but so I think people are excited about, uh, you know, the uh, possibilities in these new technologies, and they, they want to see them rolled out. Mm. So do I. Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> And uh, yeah, so for, for my climate solutions or farm solutions uh, question, I, I have a confession to make. I, I thought was, when we first did this interview like a year ago on the phone, uh, I liked how you gave me a bit of pushback on that. You're like, no, no I don't think all farm solutions <laughs> are climate solutions. Like, yeah, that's right. I, I kind of it just rolls off the tongue too easily sometimes with me. Yeah. And even uh, the person who started Rural Roots, she she called me on that. We just interviewed her for the podcast. She's like, yeah, I think we should have actually said climate climate solutions are farm solutions, but farm solutions are climate solutions. It should be more farm solutions can be climate solutions. Yeah. So I'm just yeah, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that. Okay, yeah, similar thoughts. Although, uh, so the idea that farm solutions are climate solutions. I kind of agree in some ways, um, like a good example is, uh, the solar and electric. So, um, although it was more expensive to buy in the life cycle of the tractor, um, or in the life cycle of the solar panels, you're saving money. So with the solar panels, it's an eight year payoff. So after eight years, um, we've paid the exact same amount for the array plus the energy that we bought as if we hadn't done anything. But they'll last many decades. And so uh, this was just for us. Uh, There's actually a, a town, I wish I knew the name, uh, Republican Mayor, Texas. 
Oh, I've met that guy. Yeah, oh, yeah, have you? Yeah, oh, yeah. Sorry, sorry, I was at a conference where he was okay. he's, he's about like five feet yeah. tall, but yeah. And so crazy. they've turned in the middle of oil country, they've turned the whole town into uh, wind and solar, renewable. And he, this guy actually, for a Republican, he actually did think that climate change was real. However, you don't need to. It's a economic argument on its own right that mm-hmm. you can save money, uh, you can provide good jobs with sustainable technologies. Um, so in some ways, uh, climate farm solutions, economic solutions, yes, I agree. Mm. Um, in other ways, it's not, and it's actually the opposite. And that's the problem in the first place is that it's uh, the way our economy is set up is that it's often easier to externalize costs mm. on the next generation or someone down, down river from you. And, and that's an issue. So, um, yeah, we absolutely need regulation and the proper type of incentives and disincentives. Mm. To because it it could be that yes, all farm solutions are climate solutions, are economic solutions, but you need the right regulatory framework for that to actually happen. Because right now we, for the most part, have the wrong <laughs> regulatory framework, which incentivizes quick profits and uh, not really valuing things that we all need to survive, like topsoil. Mm clean air, clean water, etc. Okay. Um, yeah, good answer, by the way. And yeah, the my last question, that might be a hard one to answer, but three things you wish you knew about electric tractors before you bought an electric tractor. <laughs> Doesn't have to be three. I can one, two, three, I suppose. Uh, I wish I would have been a bit um, more prepared for... Uh, like, I guess we talked about this. It was somewhat stressful. Um, I didn't fully think through uh, what my personal personality type is and, like, how it would affect me. And But I don't think I would have, uh, knowing what I know now, I still would have said, get that tractor. Mm. But actually, maybe my advice to myself would be, don't stress out about it too much. It's hard not to, though. I mean, of you're course. putting... We're putting our name out there, saying on the line this is a great technology so i'm kind of bound up with it uh succeeding um but i mean i i try and relay this to staff and apprentices when they come through here and i've also tried to learn it myself i've had to learn it myself over the years is that uh you care about your business and you want it to succeed the stress that it causes you doesn't help you succeed any better um so what I try and tell staff and apprentices and everything is like, you know what? We have our system. We think it's good. We're going to work our hardest and let the cards fall where they may. Um, so stressing about the end result doesn't bring about a better end result. It probably brings about a worse result mm. uh, because you're not sleeping. You're not really focused. So, and I've, I've done a good job. I'm, I'm probably prone to stress out about things over the years learning, you know, just put in the hours and things will be fine because they always are. Um, and so I guess I wish I would have been able to convince myself of that with the tractor. But it's so new that it wasn't like just running a market garden again and assuming things will work out. It's like this could fail miser- miserably, uh, you know, like, uh, so that would be my one advice, although whether I could take it, I'm not, I'm not sure <laughs> I, if I'd be able to. Um, it's a pretty good one. It's almost, it almost sounds like you got to know yourself better yeah. through buying yeah, an electric yeah. tractor. That's another cool benefit. It is. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I guess uh, along the same lines, it's taught me to just, uh, when you have these ideas or passions that keep you up at night, to just go for them. Because, I mean, better that than thinking later, oh, I should have done that. Mm. Um, so I think it'll encourage me to and, you know, it's like a, having a passion or a calling or something. It's not even a nice thing. It's terrible. You can't sleep. <laughs> like, you can't, you're not really present when you're talking to other people. You're just driven by this one goal. It's kind of like and being in love when you're younger, right? Eh? Yeah, it's just a violent <laughs> interruption of yeah. your normal, nice daily life. And that's what it was for me with some of these projects. It's like, I can't do otherwise. So I might as well just do this thing that's on my mind all the time. Mm-hmm. And so I guess... Having gone through this, and it has been, uh, there have been some hiccups, but generally a success. So I think this will encourage me to, you know, as opportunities like that present themselves, just go for it. 
Rural Roots to Climate Solutions is an Alberta-based project empowering agriculture producers and the communities they live in with climate solutions. Rural Roots is a project of the Settler Learning Centre in East Central Alberta, and we run workshops, farm field days, webinars, we assist rural communities with renewable energy projects, and of course, we produce this podcast. For more information about us and what we do, go to the website, which is www.rr2cs.ca. The Rural Roots team is Angie O'Connor, Marie Galanka, Evelyn Tanaka, and myself, Derek Leahy. Karen Mountain of Mountain Media and Red Deer edited this episode for us, and the episode was recorded at Wheelbarrow Farms in Sunderland, Ontario, which is on Williams Trees land, which is the home of the Mississaugas, uh, Anishinaabek-speaking people. Happy farming wherever you are in Alberta. And remember, what's good for the climate is good for the farm. <laughs>